Chapter Seven. An Andalite may think that humans are simple, open, trusting creatures, but they are more subtle than they seem at first. Possibly this is because of their spoken language, where no word ever means just one thing. From the Earth Diary of Aximili Escarot Estil. My day at the human school ended with the removal of the teacher who had been a controller. Prince Jake went home. I went back to the woods and gratefully resumed my true shape. But I spent a very bad afternoon and night. I realized that Prince Jake and the humans could never be true shorns. I knew there was a wall between me and them, but they were all I had. Without them, I was utterly alone, and Prince Jake's anger and suspicion had hurt me. It is a terrible, lonely thing to be a billion Earth miles from every living member of your own people. The next day, Marco invited me to hang out with him. This was a surprise. Marco has never been very friendly, unlike Cassie and Tobias and Prince Jake. Rachel too has never seemed to take to me. I morphed into my human body and met Marco at the edge of the woods. So, he said. You want to be Pinocchio, huh? What? Pinocchio was a little boy carved out of wood. He wanted to be a real live human. I do not want to be a human. I merely wish to study them. Marco smiled. What a coincidence! And I want to study Andalites. It took several minutes for me to understand what he was saying. Oh, Prince Jake asked you to press me for information. Jake was a little ticked off that you didn't tell us everything you know, Marco said. Rachel was even more ticked. Come on, we have to catch the bus. You want to learn about humans, right? I thought I'd take you to a bookstore. Smart as you are, you can learn to read English. Bookstore? Bookstore? Yeah, books, fiction, history, a hundred thousand books, all about the human race, and you get to choose any of them you want. We have no secrets, unlike certain species I could mention who don't even tell us a little thing like how they eat with no mouth. I see. You open your society to me, society, and you want me to do the same in return. I told Jake I could cleverly weasel all the information out of you, but he said no. Axe is our friend. Show him we have nothing to hide. Maybe he'll finally decide to trust us. I felt a pang of guilt. They were treating me with trust. They had never done anything to hurt me. On the contrary, they had been wonderful to me, good in every way. I have reasons for keeping secrets. I said. Marco nodded. Yeah, we know. Rachel says you probably aren't allowed to interfere with primitive races like humans. I was surprised. It was very close to the truth. At first, I didn't know what to say. Marco smiled a cold smile and nodded his head. So that is it, right? Kind of too late for that attitude, isn't it? After all, the Yurks are interfering with us like crazy. I had no answer to give, but as I looked around at the street, at all the humans in their cars, and all the humans lurching along on two legs, it occurred to me just how defenseless I would be without Prince Jake and Marco and the others. We had reached the bus stop. Suddenly, Marco slapped his pants. Oh man, I left my money at home. 
We all pitched in for your book fund. I left it on my desk. Come on. Where are we going? Ing. ing ang ing That is a very satisfying sound. Yeah, everyone loves a good ing. We have to run over to my house. Don't worry, it's just around the corner. Marco led me down the street. There were houses on both sides. Big, boxy structures with transparent rectangles here and there. That is Prince Jake's house, I said. I had spent time in Prince Jake's house. No, it's just the same model as his house. This is a subdivision. There are only like five different models of houses. They all look alike. Welcome to the suburbs. But it beats the place I used to live in. He was correct. There were only five types of house. Although some had more grass and some had less. Also, some houses were decorated with items that had been placed on the grass. What is that decoration? I asked. Marco followed the direction of my gaze. Then he rolled his eyes upward. That's a big wheel. It is very attractive. Very colorful. Uh Uh-huh. I'd love to tell you how it works. But it's the very height of human technology, so it's secret. Primitive races could get a hold of big wheels, and then who knows what might happen. I am still learning about human mouth sounds. But I am very sure Marco's sound was sarcasm. There's my house. My dad is home, working. He sprained his ankle, so he's using his home computer. Don't be weird, okay? No, I will not be weird. 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 I will act like a normal human. You act like a normal human, and you'll win an Oscar, Marco said. He led the way up to his house and opened the door. Okay, look, you wait right there by that table. Don't go anywhere. If my dad comes in and talks to you, just say yes and no. Got it? Yes and no answers only. I'll run up to my room. I'm gonna call one of the others to meet us at the bookstore. You're already driving me nuts. I stood at the table. There was a primitive computer on the table. It even had a solid two-dimensional screen. And a keyboard. An actual keyboard. I touched the keyboard. It was amazing. Endolite computers once had keyboards too, although ours were very different, and it had been centuries since we'd used them. On the screen of the computer was a game. The object of the game was to spot the errors in a primitive symbolic language and correct them. Of course, before I could play, I had to make sense of the system. But that was simple enough. Once I understood the system, it was easy to spot the errors. I quickly rewrote it to make sense out of it. I win, I said to myself. Hello? I turned around. It was an older human. He was paler than Marco, but other features were similar. Marco had warned me to say nothing to his father but yes and no. No, I said to Marco's father. I'm Marco's dad. Are you a friend of his? Yes. What's your name? No, I answered. Your name is no? Yes. That's an unusual name, isn't it? No. It's not? Yes. Yes, it is an unusual name? No. No, I'm totally confused. Yes. Marco's father stared at me. Then, in a loud voice, he yelled, Hey, Marco? Marco? Would you, um... uh, Your friend is here. Your friend, no, is here. No, I said. 
Yes, that's what I said. Marco came running down the stairs. Whoa! He cried. Um, Dad, you met my friend? No, Marco's father said. What? Marco asked. Marco's father shook his head. I must be getting old. I don't understand you kids. Yes, I offered. After that, we went to the bookstore. Chapter 8 Books are an amazing human invention. They allow instant access to information simply by turning pieces of paper. They are much faster to use than computers. Surprisingly, humans invented books before computers. They do many things backwards. From the Earth Diary of Aximili Eskaroth Isthil It was evening the next day. I was in the woods. I was reading a book. The book was called The World Almanac. Did you know that 12% of households have a dehumidifier? Did you know that a sheep can live for 20 years? Did you know that humans used to believe the sun orbited the earth? It was a wonderful book. The book told me many useful things. It took humans only 66 years to go from inventing the first flying machine to landing on the moon. It took Andalites almost three times as long. Humans are a very clever species. Someday, if they survive, they could be one of the great races of the galaxy. Of course, Andalites will always be greater. I was standing by the stream with one hoof in the water, drinking, when my stock eyes saw a swift shadow falling from the sky. Tobias opened his wings and shot just over my head. Axe! Everyone is looking for you! Stay right here! I have to go get them! He had kept most of his speed, so he swiftly disappeared above the trees. But a moment later, he was back, with four other large birds of prey following him. Tobias took a position on a branch. The others landed on the ground. I knew then it was the other Animorphs. They quickly began to demorph. Prince Jake grew out of a falcon's racing body. Rachel emerged from a huge bald eagle. Cassie and Marco had both acquired osprey morphs and were now becoming human again. I felt a tingle of worry. They had obviously been searching for me, and were in a hurry. What is the matter? I asked. What's the matter? Marco demanded. You're asking what's the matter? I'll tell. But just at that point, Marco crossed the line from thought-speaking morph back to human. His human mouth was still a beak, however, so he just squawked. I watched Cassie as she made the change. Cassie is a natural estrine, a person with an ability to make morphing almost artistic. On my planet, it is an art form. There are professional estrines who change shape in fantastic, beautiful ways. Cassie was not a professional, but she had the talent. As she morphed, she formed pleasant shapes. For a while, she had an enlarged osprey's head, as large as a human's head, and vast wings attached to a human body. When the others morph, they are much less subtle. For them, human parts simply ooze out, while feathers melt away. It is very unappealing. The humans find it frightening and disgusting as well, I believe. And they even recognize that Cassie has a talent for morphing. What did you do? Marco's human mouth had reappeared. I don't understand the question. 
My dad's computer, you did something to it, didn't you? I... I merely played the game. Game? Game? There was no game, that was my dad's work! No, it was a game. You had to find the errors in the instructions. Suddenly, an idea occurred to me. Oh, I understand. Your father designs games for children. Cassie started to laugh, then silenced herself. No, Axe. He writes software programs for high-tech uses. He was working with astronomers at the observatory. They were designing a program for aiming the radio telescope at the new observatory. I nodded, as I had seen humans do. Yes, it could be used for that purpose. But it was so obviously full of errors, I assumed it was a child's game. If you say game again, I swear I'm going to punch you, Marco said. Prince Jake put his hand on Marco's shoulder. What Marco means is, it was not a game, Axe. His father is going nuts about it. My dad says you may have created a whole new branch of computer software. Plus, at the same time, opened up new ways to do astronomy. He showed it to the guys at the observatory. They are totally losing it. They're talking about Nobel Prizes. I had to convince my dad it was just an accident. I told him you were an idiot, and that you were not the next Einstein. Einstein, yes. I read about him in the World Almanac. He was the first human to realize that matter and energy. Axe! Rachel exploded. Are you not getting this? What if some controller hears about this new software? Don't you think they might guess it was an Andalite who came up with it? It hit me quite suddenly. She was right. If those equations were supposed to be real, not a game, but real, then I had just pushed human science ahead by a century. Maybe more. I think he just got it, Marco said sarcastically. What is a radio telescope? I asked Marco. He shrugged. Like I would know? When am I, a science teacher? A radio telescope is a telescope that sees by picking up radio waves and other radiation from outer space, Cassie said. Marco gave her an incredulous look. Not all of us sleep through science class, Marco, Cassie said. I see. A primitive sensor. Yes, that would make sense. Of course, with the changes I made. What? Marco snapped. What about the changes you made? The changes I made would only... Suddenly, I stopped. The truth, the whole truth, was beginning to dawn on me. A radio telescope? A huge, high-powered collector of broad-spectrum energy? My mind raced through the memories of classes from a long time ago. I could almost picture my teacher explaining, Yes, yes! With the right adjustments, the right software, yes, I could bounce the collected energies back, focus it, modulate it with my own mind, and... and break into Z-space. Zero-space. I could use the system to send messages through Z-space. I could communicate with my own world. I felt it as a blow that made me weak. It was true. I could use that radio telescope to call my home world. To call my people. My family. I don't think I had ever admitted, till that moment, just how much I wanted to see another Andalite. Axe, what are you hiding now? Rachel demanded. I tried to concentrate on her question, but my mind was spinning. It made me feel weak. I could contact my home planet. I could... But at the same time, there was another truth. I had to destroy this technology. I had broken the law of Ciro's kindness. 
I had given the humans a huge advance in technology. Axe, Rachel asked you a question, Jake said tersely. What is it? What's up with you? My duty was clear. I could not tell my human friends what I had done. I had to erase the damage. But before I did that, would it be wrong to contact my family? Would it be so wrong to once again see them? I am not hiding anything, I lied. Nothing at all. Chapter 9 They left, and I ate. I feed at dark whenever possible. It is not the way I would do it at home, but I must always be very careful not to be seen. When I run in the open spaces, it must either be dark, or Tobias must watch over me. My friends tell me that from a distance, I look like a normal earth animal, a deer or perhaps a small horse, but if any human saw me clearly, he would immediately know that I am not an earth species. So I eat at night, running wildly through the open grassy fields where Cassie's farm meets the edge of the forest. I run beneath a single moon, so different from the moons of my own world. The moon of Earth rises and sets. On some nights, it cannot be seen at all. There are always at least two moons in our sky. And when all four moons are in the night sky, it is nearly as bright as day. Home. Billions of miles away. Sometimes, I hurt from thinking about my home. A warrior has to overcome that. But on nights when I stood alone in the forest, or ran alone in the fields, I couldn't help but think of home. And now, it was worse. So much worse, thinking that I could talk to them if I really wanted to. I could turn the human's radio telescope into a Z-space communicator. But if I did, I would have broken our own law. I would have given the humans an advanced technology. I couldn't do it. I wasn't Alfangor. I couldn't just decide to break the law of Ciro's kindness. And yet, in the back of my mind, there was another thought. I had already accidentally transferred the software to the humans. It was an accident, so I hadn't broken the rules. And if I went to the observatory to wipe the software, I would actually be doing the right thing. I could go to the observatory and erase the software, but before I erased it, I could use it to call my home. Would that be wrong? In my memory, I saw myself with my father and mother, and Althangor was there too. He was alive in my memory. I remember when I was very little, and Althangor, who was already a great warrior, came home on leave. I barely knew him. I'd seen his communications but I'd never met him face to face. He had been away when I was born, off fighting the Yurks. But we went running together, just the two of us. Me, all clumsy, Alfangor like some creature from an Andalite myth, so fast and so powerful. It was kind of a shock to me. Until then, I guess I thought I was the most important person in the family. But it is hard to feel very important with Alfangor around. He didn't say much to me. He didn't give me some big brother lecture. He was just himself. He talked to me the same way he talked to my parents. He never treated me like a younger Andalite, and that was great. After that, 
There was never any question in my mind what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a warrior. I wanted to be like Alfangor. And now he is gone. My parents might not even know. For sure they didn't know I was still alive. I slowed my run. I was far across the fields. I could see the lights from Cassie's farm. Foolish! I was so wrapped up in my thoughts that I had grown careless. I turned to head back toward the forest. You might as well hang around for a while, a voice said. Cassie? She loomed up from the darkness. How had I missed seeing her? I looked closer. Cassie began to change. She kept her own human face, but the ghostly gray-white mane of a horse, and her legs ended in hooves, not human feet. You morphed a horse, I said. As soon as she was fully human, she responded. I do that sometimes. I like running. But don't tell Jake. He'd be mad at me for using morphing for personal things. I don't believe he would be angry, I said. I am no expert on humans, but I believe Prince Jake has a special affection for you. Cassie laughed quietly. I doubt it. I'm just a friend and a fellow anamorph. Then why do you sometimes hold hands and intertwine your fingers? Oh, well, you weren't supposed to see that. Why not? Um, it's kind of a long story, Cassie said. Just forget it, okay? How is your study of humans going? I have read the World Almanac. So what do you think? I think humans are interesting. Uh-huh. What do you really think? I hesitated. She seemed to want a more complete answer. But you can never be sure with humans. Often, they become offended by small things. I think there is a second reason why the Yurks wish to enslave your species, I said. Aside from being able to have a lot of human hosts, why? They're afraid of you. Afraid of us? Why? She laughed. Have you been reading all that stuff about wars? Humans aren't just about fighting wars. It may seem that way, but... Every species fights wars, I said. In the past, Andalites made war on other Andalites, and the hork used to have a biological time clock that set them all warring every 62 years. As for the taxons, they are cannibals. Yeah, well, we humans haven't exactly been perfect. Every species has something to be ashamed of, I said. Every species carries some terrible guilt. She looked closely at me. I could almost see her wondering whether I meant Andalites as well. But she decided not to ask that question. Instead, she asked another. So if it isn't the wars that bother you, what is it? You discovered radioactivity in 1896. In 1945, you exploded an atomic weapon. 49 years. In 1903, you flew for the first time. 66 years later, you landed on your moon. You really did read the World Almanac, didn't you? Cassie said with a smile. You're saying we do things quickly? I'm saying that if the Yurks don't destroy you now, they know that 50 years from now, humans will be capable of faster-than-light travel, 
and a hundred years from now, who knows? How long did it take you Andalize to do those things? I... I don't remember. I lied. I see, Cassie said. I believe her tone of voice is called disappointed. I... I hung my head. I am bound by my oath as an Andalite warrior. We must never give Andalite technology to any other species, and we try not to, you know, talk about ourselves to other species. It sounded pathetic, even to me. Not even if it might help us beat the Yurks? But isn't that what your brother did, and he gave us the power to morph? I could not think of an answer. It was true, of course. Alfangor had broken our laws. Did I say something wrong? Cassie asked. I am not Alfangor, I said finally. I'm more like you, just a young one. Alfangor was a great prince. My people might understand and forgive what Alfangor did, because he was an important person. I see, Cassie said. You know what? Why don't you morph to human and come inside? You could meet my mom and dad. We're just about to have dinner. I have eaten already. Cassie raised one eyebrow. You've eaten, huh? She seemed about to ask me a question, then decided against it. Okay, but you could still come in. You don't have to eat much. Just hang out. Come on, it will do you good. Do me good? Do I seem ill? No, just lonely. You seem very lonely. The word pierced me. I was surprised how much it hurt. Yes, I was lonely, but I didn't think the humans knew. How would you explain to your family who I was? Cassie shrugged. You morphed Jake once, right? So be Jake. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. If it feels like I'm speaking a little quickly right now, I did forget to do this, and now I am running a little late for a thing. So let's just get this knocked out of the park. I don't have anything out of the usual to say. Um, thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, you can hear more at audiomorphs.podbean.com or by searching Audiomorphs anywhere you please. If you would like to reach me, you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. I would like to put out the call for a song suggestion for the next book. Uh, I want to get out ahead of that because I, I don't have one ready. So if someone could come up with one, that'd be pretty cool. Thank you in advance. You can also, if you're enjoying this uh, this series... You can leave me a rating and a review on iTunes, or you could tell a friend. Both of those would be very cool and very appreciated. Uh, I'd also like to give a shout out to my other podcast, OK Crusader, that can be found at OK, or excuse me, that can be found at shoutengine.com/okcrusader, or by searching OK Crusader anywhere you'd search for a podcast. This is a podcast where I get some guests on, and we discuss uh, randomly generated. Marvel characters using the unofficial Marvel wiki and how dateable we find them. It's a very goofy, uh, silly show. So if that sounds like something that you'd be interested in, go ahead and give it a listen. 
Okay, I think that is everything I have to say in this outro, so thank you all for listening, and I will see you next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. We fight.